Blessed are the peacemakers. So these last four culminating in persecution. Notice what it says here. Why are they persecuted? For righteousness sake. Well, in the fourth one, they didn't have righteousness. They were hungering for that righteousness. They needed Christ for that righteousness. And so I think you can see there, and maybe you buy it, maybe you don't. That's up to you. You be Bereans. You see the word and you judge it uh, for yourselves. But as we work through these, see if you think this structure holds. I am convinced it does. We are going to see what this abundance that we spoke about last time, the happy poor, the happy morning, the happy meek, how we are filled with Christ and what this now results in, what it brings an effect of. Uh, these are, John Piper talks about this, this progression, this symmetry, and speaks of these as the fruits of these previous four. All right, let us look then at verse uh, 7. This is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Remember, for all of these, we've talked about how last time there is, uh, where does that word blessed come from? Makarios, which is makar, happy. So another way to say it would be, happy are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, the Good News Translation speaks of it that way. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones points this out. He says this is not a, quote-unquote, flabby permissiveness. This isn't just, well, we don't care about whatever the sins that are being committed. We'll just give mercy to everybody. It's not that big of a deal. Why is that not the outlook of it? Well, the reason that we are able to give mercy, we know this from the parable of uh, the, the person, remember, he, he was forgiven a great debt by the king, and he was so happy, and then he left, and he met somebody who owed him a little debt, and what did he do? He made him pay everything and put him in jail, and there was this discontinuity here. We're able to show mercy to people because God has shown mercy to us. And so when we're looking here, we're not, God gets glory from showing mercy to us because of how great our sins are. It is not that he minimizes them and trivializes them. Indeed, what did our sins cause to happen? It needed the death of the perfect Son of God. It needed this meritorious atonement on the cross for our sins. That's how grievous these sins are. And God gets glory from being so magnificently munificent and gracious and merciful to us. And so if we were to turn to people who do commit sins and say, ah, it's not a big deal, don't worry, You are robbing God of the glory that he deserves. It is his grace. It is the death of Christ on the cross that causes you to be able to say mercy and peace to you. I have received that mercy myself and I will pass it along to you. I will be the conduit of this grace that flows from God through me to those who have wronged me. Merciful. This is the heart's desire of those who have been Saved by Christ, those who are poor in spirit. You see how these flow from the previous ones. When you are poor in spirit, when you are meek, you're not caring about retribution for yourself. You want God's kingdom to be magnified and you will serve him in any way that you can. Now, we talk about this this mercifulness. 
Are we supposed, does this mean that we are supposed to give mercy in every situation, every single time that it appears? Well, let me ask you this question. Those of you who have raised children, when a permissive parent says, you know, I'm only going to show mercy to my children. Every time they misbehave, there will be no punishment. There will only be mercy. You tell me what you think that type of child will grow into be as they lack the discipline that they need. Or let's take a judge, a civil magistrate. This judge is so Christian and so merciful that every time anybody comes before his court, he declares mercy to you. Go free, rapist, murderer, go free. You see, that would not do either. Uh, We have certain duties and obligations as people. As parents, you have duties and obligations. If you're a civil magistrate, you have duties and obligations. There was a book, uh, I think it was 2009, that came out. Some of you may be familiar with it. It is called When Helping Hurts. It was written by two PCA professors at Covenant College. And the whole point of it is, let's take for an example. You find somebody on the street. They are asking for money, and they're being very um, clear about it. They're saying, I want money because I want to go get high. I need to go buy some drugs to get high. The merciful response would be, well, I want you to have money. Here's merciful money. Here here you go. Go get high. Would that be the correct response? Well, the book is saying you want to help people in a way that is truly merciful to them, that is the right thing. So you may not give them the money they're seeking for, but you would want to talk with them and say, let's go to this rehab facility. Let's go. God does not want you in this situation. He doesn't want you like this. So there is a way in which what people would think is mercy would lead to ruin. But uh, when you will... Give mercy. So as a parent, you do give discipline and you give justice at times. You did wrong. Here's the punishment. But there will be times when you do give grace and mercy. This is what you would deserve, son, daughter. And yet this time there will be grace for you. There will be mercy for you. And this is a picture of Christ in heaven and how he's forgiven all of us. So there will be times of mercy. There will be times when you give justice when it is due. But for the person with a merciful heart, even the justice that you give looks different It is not flying off the handle in rage and punishing and doing wicked things. It is it is a heavy heart. I don't want this punishment for you. This is not what I want. So you see here this this um, this sort of contradiction, this thing that is in our hearts. And and does anyone ever do this perfectly? Do we administer our mercy and our justice perfectly among people? No. And yet we see what we are called to be. We are called to be people who are merciful in heart. We want to give clemency and just and and mercy to people. We want that to be the case. We wish that we could give it every time. And yet we know for the good of people, sometimes you give justice for what they deserve, even though our heart will be in that So we have there mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Now, one thing here, what is what is a great example of giving mercy, forgiving somebody for when they have wronged you? You may think of Stephen. 
when he was being stoned. This is Acts 7, 59 and 60. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which, of course, is a euphemism for he died and soul went to be with the Lord. So this was a last act of mercy towards those who were even murdering him for righteousness sake. We'll get to that at the end. But there is this mercy that is the desire of our hearts. I wonder, does this come naturally to the flesh in our hearts, to the old self? No, we want to hold on to what wrongs people have done to us. We want to grit our teeth and give back what they deserve. And yet we must be mindful of what Christ has done for us, what mercy we have received, and then pass that on to others. The one who receives mercy from the Lord then is able to give mercy to others. Let's move to verse 8. Here we see the happy, pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is purity of heart? What is this? Well, let's look at James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So what is he contrasting there? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. People who are seeking not simply God, but seeking God and other things, you double-minded people. Or we could look at Psalm 24.4. He who has clean heart, hands and a pure heart, remember we're trying to figure out what is this pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, And does not swear deceitfully. So this pure hearted person is not deceitfully saying I'm doing one thing and another at the same time. It is talking about this deceit, this double mindedness. So in both of these cases, this pure heart is a unified heart, a heart that is seeking after God and God alone with all of his heart. Is this consistent with the whole of New Testament teaching? Of course. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? This is Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It is unity of heart, seeking after God. That is what purity of heart is. Now notice, where is the heart? It is inside. We are not first seeking fix your external actions. If all people try and do is fix your external actions, you will be nonstop. All of you who know weeding in a in a garden, what do you do? You, you just cut the top of it off, right? And that gets rid of the problem. No, it continues to grow up from the roots. You pull it up from the roots, the root of the issue. Now, those of you who 
weed in the garden, you know, even after you pull up the roots, they just keep coming back and keep coming back. And so it is a consistent thing that you have to do over and over and over again. But nonetheless, we are not concerned mainly with the externals. This is why you cannot legislate morality. That is not to say we should not have godly laws. But the point is, you will never fix people by trying to fix outside actions. It is the heart, the purity of the heart that is at stake. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We want to go to the root of the problem. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, strive for holiness without which none can see God. And so there is this deep-seated purity of heart. And where does this come from? Remember, we were hungering for thirst and thirsting for God, for his righteousness. We lacked it in and of ourselves. And he filled us with his righteousness, his goodness. This purity of heart comes from seeing God, seeing him with the eyes of faith and wanting more of him and more of him, hungering and thirsting for him and continuing to go to the fountain, the source of this goodness. That is where this purity of heart comes from, or from where it comes, I should say. Now notice the second part of this verse. They shall see God. Now not only does this mean you will see him with the eyes of faith now, it is you will see him when you get to glory with your glorified body. Can you imagine seeing Christ, your Savior, seeing God on the throne What a glorious day that will be. That's why we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, even now, come. We desire to see you, to be filled with the life-giving waters that flow from you. I want you to just think for a moment. Think of all the people on this planet. Think of people in this country who are on, ostensibly, they think, on a search for God. And and they'll climb Tibetan mountains and try and go and meditate to find a glimpse of God. Think of all the people who search for what they think is God. And here we're seeing, how do you find this God? How do you see this God that so many people think they're on a quest for? You see him with this pure heart that he gives by hungering and thirsting for his righteousness revealed in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is why we want to tell people about it. They need this God. They want this God. When, when they are called by God, that, that, that desire for God is awakened. Now, in our flesh, we know, does anyone truly seek after God? In the flesh, no. In the flesh, they seek after the benefits that God's presence would provide. That's what they're seeking after, that peace. So we preach the gospel in hopes that they would be awakened, that they would get that heart of flesh. Let's turn to verse 9. Happy are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked this question. Where does strife come from in this world? Where does all the strife come from? Strife between people, strife at the national level. Where does strife come from? Here's his answer. The explanation of all our human troubles is 
human lust, human greed, selfishness, self-centeredness. This is the cause of all trouble, discord, whether between individuals or whether between groups within nations or between nations themselves. What is the matter with the world? Why have we had all of these world wars in this century? According to this beatitude, there's only one answer to this question, to these questions. It is sin. And so we have here, how are you a peacemaker? Well, in several ways. First of all, we should note that we are to be active peacemakers. This isn't just sitting it out, letting sleeping dogs lie, not engaging. We are told to be peacemakers, to be actively seeking to cause peace to appear in situations. Well, how does our poverty of spirit and our meekness and our need and hungry and thirsting for God, how does this point to and lead towards peacemakers? Well, one... That purity of spirit we were just talking about, that purity of heart, when Christians do not speak meanly and speak with gossip and speak or envy other people or lust after things, do you think that may eliminate some of the strife that we see in this world? Yes, of course. So in that way, we're peacemakers in that we are not instigating this wickedness because we do not seek these things. But furthermore, when people wrong us, as we even spoke about Stephen in the last Beatitudes, he was not turning and saying war and war. He was flowing through his mercy, the the mercy God had given. He was pouring out towards them. So in that way, you are peacemakers as well. So that would cause a lot of sin in this world if we got rid of envy and strife and lust and all of these things that would eliminate so many of the wicked war that is in this world. But secondly, let me ask you, what is the greatest enmity of all? What is the, even if no human being between each other was giving strife, it's the enmity against God, the hatred of God. And what does that lead to? Ultimate destruction. He is a just God. He must give justice Of course, he's provided a way through Christ Jesus as Lord to show his mercy and grace at the same time, which is why we want everybody to have access to that Christ. But we are peacemakers when we are spreading the gospel, when we are sending missionaries, when we give our money to these missionary movements to bring peace between man and God. We want to be peacemakers in that ultimate way. And of course, that is the the driving heartbeat of a Christian. I have received this and I see other people who haven't and I want them to receive it too. Of course, Christians will be peacemakers. Of course, that is the driving heartbeat. Let's move to the last of the Beatitudes, the happy persecuted. This is verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
MacArthur calls this the happy or the harassed. And boy, does that not make much sense in our earthly minds, to your earthly mind. How can you be happy and persecuted? Well, first of all, we need to talk about, is this talking about happy or you are persecuted, period? Any persecution that you experience? No. Happy are you, are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sometimes, unfortunately, we bring persecution on ourselves for misdeeds we have done, for sins we have committed. That is not what is being blessed here, although we do know our sovereign God this is one of the great um, Uh, benefits of our sovereign God is that he can turn even your sins and your mistakes in your life that you do and cause trouble and he can cause that to sanctify you to grow you so he still there is it's not as if you are lost and and in despair and hopeless in that case but these are not what is being called blessed in this situation as being blessed for being persecuted for Christ's sake well, you might you might start by thinking, well, I, this just is odd, period. Why? How does it make sense that there would be persecution of Christians and we've just been describing them as meek and as peacemakers and pure in heart? And where is this persecution coming from? Well, of course, Christ Jesus was the best person who's ever walked this planet, the perfect man, the God man, and they put him to death. Where does this come from? Where does this uh, opposition to these attributes that we're talking about that seem so positive, where does this come from? Well, I'll quote Piper for you here. If you cherish chastity, your life will be an attack on people's love of free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love and abuse of alcohol and drunkenness. If you pursue self-control, your life will, be, will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evils of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in all your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into the sharp into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. If you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly minded of those around you. We, we know it is easy to see in Old Testament that the worshipers of idols always attacked the believers of true gods. It was true when people worshipped Baal, and it is no less true when we live in our culture which worships sex and which worships greed and which worships so many things. If you attack any of their idols, which they do pay homage to, though they say they have no God, they worship themselves. And when you lay attack to that, of course, there will be opposition. But that is, you know, the, the level sort of easy, quote unquote, opposition we face in America today. It may get worse. And indeed, I think it will. But I hope you are aware martyrs were not just a thing of the past in our world today. I've heard statistics where there are even more martyrs in this 
in the last hundred years than there were in the first. When you think of Rome persecuting Christians and doing all this, there are Christians, you, you read in the newspaper of churches that are burned and bombed in the Middle East, where you think of the churches being persecuted, people being thrown in prison in China, where you think of uh, countries in Africa where Christians are murdered. So there is still martyrdom in this world today, faithfulness to Christ. Uh, just a few years ago, there was a missionary who was trying to go to a tribe of people who had never received the gospel, and they had killed him for trying to bring the gospel. They did not want it. And so it is not just a thing of the past. I remember a story I heard on the radio. Some of you may have heard it. It was a father was it was Martin Luther King Day. And the father was trying to tell his little daughter, you know, when you have a little child, sometimes you're telling them about things for the first time and you don't want to expose them to talk too much of the wickedness and hardness of this world. And so you have to walk that fine line of, of how much do I say? And of course, he didn't want to get into, you know, all of the evils of racism and all the prejudice that there used to be um, in the in the earlier years of this world. And so he said, well, Martin Luther King was a, a man who preached loving each other and and and. Um, following uh, ways of peace and pacifism and no violence towards each other. And the little girl said, well, that sounds like Jesus. And he said, well, I, I think you're right. In fact, he was a, a Baptist preacher. He, he did preach the gospel of Jesus. And then the little girl paused for a moment. And she asked, did they kill him too? And of course we know that he was assassinated and he hadn't thought of this, but how is this message that Christ preached that we are to forgive one another? We are to love one another. We are to turn the other cheek. How is it met with violence? Well, you know that Satan hates all of things that are good in this world, and he would see the destruction of these things. Of course, when we're talking about martyrs, I would be remiss if I did not mention to you the Hall of Faith. This is Hebrews 11. I'll read to you verses 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and of the prophets who through their faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword and were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So that's the side of the prophets winning and triumphing and, and not being burned in the furnace. And a lot of people like to stop there, and yet it continues. And we see the other side, for not always does God save those thrown into the fiery furnace. Sometimes those burned at the stake for faith in Christ are burned at the stake for faith in Christ. And so we see here in verse 35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mock, mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They, were, they uh, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. 
There is such a rich history when you read these stories of this. And, and if you haven't read Fox's Book of Martyrs, which, which traces through martyrdom through the centuries, and even in our Presbyterian heritage, you can read uh, many books about the Covenanters. One of my favorites is Fair Sunshine. These, these Presbyterians in Scotland were, were put to death. I think the number somewhere around like 18,000 to 25,000, something along those lines, who were murdered for not accepting the the prelacy and Romanism of the church. They only accepted pure worship of God. They would not add in other rituals and rites, and they were persecuted for it. They would be taken to the gallows. And I'll read to you one little poem uh, by Ames Hogg. This is called the Covenanter Scaffold Psalms. As these people were going to the gallows, what was their attitude? Remember, we're talking about blessed are the persecuted, happy are the persecuted. Well, as they walked these gallows to be hung for their faith in Christ, what was their attitude? Sing with me, sing with me, blessed spirits, sing with me. To the Lamb our song shall be through a glad eternity. Farewell, earthly morn and even sun, moon, and stars of heaven. Earthly portals open before me. Welcome Christ in all thy glory. Sing with me, sing with me, blessed spirits, sing with me. These Christians did not prize their earthly life so much that they deigned, that they disliked the notion of going before God in heaven. They viewed this as entrance into glory. And you can imagine, just think, when, when faithful Christians who've been praying to God their whole lives and, and turning the other cheek and doing all these things, when we get to heaven and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, what a pleasant thing that will be. And now imagine those who withstood the flames of the fire, who withstood the gallows, who withstood torture, and for God to look at them and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yes, there is indeed joy and happiness in serving God. You know, we want to be like Christ. We want to be like him. We're called to be like him. And and yet, how did he die? He died on the cross to save others. And as Christians, to be counted worthy of of God's church, of his mission, that your life would be a display for others. This is what faith in God is, others. Look, there is a further reality beyond this world. Look at this testimony I am giving, this faithfulness to God. I will close with this quote from Calvin. Many hold this error that he is to be happy who is free from annoyance, attains all his wishes, and leads a joyful and easy life. Christ is therefore, in order to accustom his people to bear the cross, he exposes this mistaken opinion that those who are happy would lead an easy and prosperous life according to the flesh. For it is impossible that men should mildly bend the neck or bear calamities and reproach so long as they are patient, uh, so long as they think this patience is at variance with a happy life. The only consolation which mitigates and even sweetens the bitterness of the cross and afflictions which you must bear is the conviction that we are happy in the midst of these miseries because of the grace that flows from Christ. It is the happy result 
of being blessed by the Lord. So as we conclude here, I do want to make one point. Some of these, the first four were were beatitudes of need. I am poor in spirit. I need God. And the second four was being merciful. That's an action, it sounds like. And it's those that will see heaven. So is that somehow saying you must earn heaven? You, If you are not the merciful person, you will not see heaven? Are these beatitudes leading us to see works righteousness? Of course, you know, Scripture speaks against that heavily. And where did the second four come from? It was the fruit of the first four, of need, of belief in Christ. These are the fruits of faith in Christ. You are saved by faith alone. You are saved by your Savior, Christ Jesus. A tree, you cannot tape fruit onto a bramble bush and think it's an apple tree. That's not how it works. Putting works on does not save. It is the heart, the pure heart. It is the heart of the matter. So... I hope you will go this week and meditate on these beatitudes, the happy poor, the happy mourners, the happy meek, the happy righteousness seekers, the happy merciful, the happy pure in heart, the happy peacemakers, and the happy persecuted. Let's go before our God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we beg that you would constantly keep us hungering and thirsting for you, for your righteousness, that we would be filled with your righteousness, your goodness, that our hearts would be pure expressions of your love, that we would be vessels of mercy and peacemakers to this world. And oh, that you would so fill us that we would bear any persecution with a smile of joy because of the reality of your goodness. Oh, make us feel that. Heavenly Father, keep us close to you. Feed us with you. Satisfy us with you. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We come to our final hymn.